From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio. Welcome. Welcome to Wharton Moneyball. Welcome to a full hour of sports analytics here on SiriusXM. This is Cade Massey coming to you with the whole crew. Adi Weiner is here. Eric Bradlow is here. Shane Jensen is here. By here, I mean Zoom. We've been coming to you via Zoom since the dawn of the pandemic three and a half years ago. Allows most of us to be here most weeks. Some combination of us are here almost every week of the year. And these days we're running for an hour, bringing in guests for half that show typically. We have a guest coming in later today, Brian Burke, a frequent guest on the show over the years. Going to talk NFL, going to talk some modeling. I always enjoy a conversation with Brian. Between now and then, open lines, as we used to say, open topics. Eric Bradlow arrived approximately 15 seconds ago from a uh, a weather-delayed flight up from Tampa Bay. I'm guessing he might have taken in some football. We're about to find out. Let's We're going to talk NFL with Brian when we get to him at the bottom of the hour. But let's collect a couple of quick ones here at the top. Shane, I know. Well, my main question attention. is very related to Eric's travel schedule. I want to know from Eric, A, has what the Bucks have done over the first two games moved your needle on – postseason or whatever expectations and be specifically baker mayfield has looked pretty good do you actually are you a are you a believer in him as a at least ad, you know average to good quarterback yeah so i've been thinking about this a lot obviously because the bucks are now two and oh have a big face off against the eagles now next monday night um here's the thing take any i'll call it mediocre team which I think the Bucs are, give them no turnovers in the first two games and give their opponents seven turnovers in those games, and you're going to win a lot of football. And that's what's happened, which is the Bucs haven't turned it over. The Vikings had four turnovers. The Bears had three. Uh, the Bucs have played clean football, except for one throw in the entire game. There was no chance any of Baker Mayfield's passes were going to get picked off. So I'll give them that. He was careful with the football. He was on target with the football. You give him time and you give him throwing lanes. There's a reason why he's the number one. He was the number one pick in the draft. Baker Mayfield can throw the football and he's got the deep ball, good accuracy, et cetera. But again, they won the first game by three points. They had zero turnovers. Their opponents had four. They won this game. I understand Shaq Barrett got a touchdown at the end. It was 20 to 17. The Bears had the ball with four minutes left. And so, yeah, they've won two games. And I think it was Cade that said, he, you know, you guys have studied this. Aren't turnovers the thing that it's hard to, you know, it's hard to count on that advantage because it's not very replicable over a long series of games. So they're 2-0, in my view, with two three-point wins. I understand they won this week by seven, by 10, with zero turnovers and their opponents had seven. So, yeah, I'm excited for that. Very well done. Good, good, good. Shane, give us something else out of the NFL. Did you guys see the new play that dropped last night? The blocked field goal with the running start? It blew up the internet. It blew up the internet because... Wait, what happened? I I didn't see it. uh, Basically, a defensive lineman got a running start, came at a certain angle, and had an easy block of a field goal. It looks so cool i mean I'll, I'll send you that it looks so cool in per at the time that half the internet's like why don't teams why is this the first time we've ever seen this 
Hmm. Well, so Shane, the obvious answer is, well, it worked once because. <laughs> yes, that's right. All, all they have to do is mess with the count. I yeah. mean, the whole thing took it, the timing. The guy almost no, that, perfectly timed. That's the that's the thing I kind of like about this play is, is I, it was obviously entirely like anything like like blocks. I think like that are almost entirely based on surprise unless there is some kind of, you know, very skilled person like Troy Paul Mall or something. And so you probably couldn't do this very often. It's always going to be a rare thing, but now it's kind of in the mix. It, yeah, we'll see what it'll be really interesting to see what other people try to do with it. But you, I mean, you really depends on being able to time what's going to happen with the other side. Let me ask so you I think guys we, also another thing we, related. Quick, I think the main Sorry. consequence is going to be that field goal units are going to have to play with the cadence in the way yeah. that they haven't in the past. That, that's, that's what's going to, that's the consequence. I'm sorry, Eric, go ahead. No, 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 I was just going to say one other thing that caught my eye in football. Um, so 1939 is a long time ago, right? Yeah, yeah. right. We agree to that. And we agree that one and 150 is a pretty rare event, right? Okay. Well, that both, both those were broken yesterday when the Giants came back and won the football game. They, they were one in 150 after being down 20 points at halftime. And also, they hadn't come back. This was their greatest comeback in a game in the second half since 1939. So, it would be again, more impressive if it wasn't a team-specific thing. Because, I mean, it could just be Giants suck at coming back. No, I mean, no, the rarity it, is, it could be. You know, but my comment was they had gone a game and a half and they were down six. They had lost 60 to nothing. They lost the Cowboys 40 to nothing and they lost to the Cardinals 20 to nothing in the first half. And then all of a sudden they woke up and now they're just one and one like lots of other teams with guess what word I'm about to say, Shane, if we were playing Hamlet, it starts with an M and it rhymes with momentum. They got momentum now. Yeah. One game momentum. It was a nice comeback. <laughs> I mean, the, uh, it, it 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 does seem important to to avoid that zero and two hole. Bill Barnwell has a new article out today, which is really nicely done on rating the eight zero and two teams, and he yeah. makes the observation at the top that in the twenty years, the last twenty years, it's something like a one in ten chance of making the playoffs. It's not something. The stat was just published. And by the way, let me just say, Bill Barnwell has gotten more play in the last couple of weeks on ESPN. Um, it, they quoted him. You have a 62% chance of making the playoffs if you start 2-0. and You have a 10% chance of making the playoffs. It's exactly 10%. It's not like 1 in 10. It's exactly 10% if you go 0-2. All right. Well, the the question is, what happens when you go in 3? And he points out that it's essentially 1 in 100 at that point. And so, uh, obviously, there's a there's two things going on. You're identifying worse teams, but you're also digging deeper holes. These are separate issues. But 1 in 100, you don't want to be in that 0-3 group that's and so he was basically saying this. These guys have almost playoff level games in front of them. Adi, yeah. What I'm trying to understand is the difference between that's just historical frequency. That's not a prediction for any given that, team. That's right. That's right. That's just that's exactly right. So obviously these teams are all different. And his his exercise in the column was to rate them from like truly bad to just unfortunate. No, nope. but uh, he starts he starts with the historical observation that you're about to move from. One in ten to one in a hundred. No, I just got a good look, but I just points in an interesting statistical one because let's say I tell you the average, even of zero and three teams, is one in a hundred. What do you think the highest probability you would ever give even the best zero and three team you see? Like for example, let's say the Vikings this week, who most people they were thirteen and four last season, right? The Vikings lose this week; they're zero and three. I didn't read the Barnwell article, but I saw it. 
I would consider them a very good O and potentially a very good O and three team. Kirk Cousins thrown for 700 plus yards in the first two weeks. Okay. And so if the base rate, I'm, I'm, I'm using Adi's words, the base rate's one in a hundred. How high would we go even for the best we think O and three team? Would you go more than 5%? So that's right. a great question. And, and basically what we're asking about is, if we were to go historically to the all 0 and 3, 0, sorry, 0 and 2 teams, with that we know the number, and we rank them based on our priors, right? So we take the the average between, they're all 0 and 2, so we essentially order them by their by the preseason priors. How often does the best team at 0 and 2 make the playoffs? And I would guess that number is probably a lot closer to 40% or 50%. I would want to do all these calculations controlling for strength of schedule? I mean, Owen, like this is the whole problem I have with this whole Owen starting the season. Yeah, Owen, too. They're not all the same. They're right, not all the same. You know, if 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 you play the Eagles and the Dolphins, that's different than almost losing to the Cardinals. You know, I mean, I, or the Jets. <laughs> okay, guys, you're all you're 100 right. Yeah. You could it's still two, do all two, the two calculations things, you're saying. Just do the article in some sense was exactly what y'all are asking for. It was a yeah. differentiation of the O and two teams. Yeah. But what I gave you was the lead. It was just the lead. It was just supposed to be a little eye candy, a little provocation. But I, I but I agree entirely with the elaborations that y'all are offering. And well, I just love that Shane did happen to say the Eagles and the Dolphins. Wonder what teams lost to those two. Yeah, at, at home, I mean, by the way. But I wonder who's that. Yeah, no, I mean, the Patriots team. are, sir. I mean, obviously, I'm just salty about the Patriots in general, but I'm also they just looked salty good. About they looked right good now. in their throwbacks yesterday. I will say they that. They did. They did. So um, they they, right, they made both games into Likely games, good. which is not what they did last season, at least. I want to try to bait you guys into college football because it's an especially good weekend after what was a little bit of a, a lame weekend. Shane, you said you tried to see college football last weekend? Well, I mean, I, 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 you know, I just, I, I, I was looking ahead to be like, oh, what matchup should I check out? And it's always a bad. I, I'm always disconcerted when I don't see two teams playing each other, both of which are followed by numbers. Yeah, you know, right. like, right. like, well, what? Well, I'm not sure. I, there, I'm not sure there was a within top 25 matchup the entire weekend. But I think it was zero. Yeah, I don't yeah. think there were any. Now there was still some good football, but it wasn't going to appeal to who, who you. If you're not, I mean, not, yeah, that's as much about my own you know, superficial way in which I, I I pick out games. So I want to give you guys a couple of things. Uh, one, our friend Bill Connolly did a nice column over the weekend saying his top 10, and it's not a straight quant. It's quant informed, but not a straight quant. And he put University of Washington number one, which I thought is really interesting, a strong go. But just that's that's telling – I'm trying to tell you something that's interesting and relevant. It could be that Washington, if they, if they keep playing the way they have been, they could be this nice – Nice fresh face on uh, on the playoff in the playoff picture. A lot of teams in the Pac-12 have something to say about that. Then Ohio State, Georgia, USC, another Pac-12 team, Texas, Florida State, Michigan, OU, Notre Dame, Penn State. So that's Bill's kind of blended expert judgment. There's an interesting article I mentioned in our discussion next half with Brian Burke from Mike Winner. Talking about QBs, he says this coming spring draft will be the deepest QB draft in the modern era. And so another way to connect into all this stuff is what quarterbacks are we even talking about in April? Well, so, for I'm example, looking at the rundown here, and this is rare for me. I think I've heard of every single one of these quarterbacks. That tells I'm you just how saying, deep it is. Exactly. I mean, so Caleb goes, Williams, people, uh, let's say he's number one. It's a Heisman Trophy winner. Drake May. 
Bo Nix is certain to seem to have gotten his act together. Shadur Sanders come out of nowhere. Viewers, a guy from Texas looks pretty good. I remember Spencer Rattler. Joe, I mean, Joe Milton. I've heard of all these guys. There you go. Well, 10 guys. He goes 10 deep. And um, it's another way to engage if you want. And so there's a relevance here because one of the biggest games this weekend, I'm not going to put it in our little competition, but one of the biggest games this weekend is Colorado, Oregon. So Oregon, obviously Colorado kind of owns the college football world, maybe the sporting world lately. Uh, They're a 21 point dog going up there to Oregon. I'm a little skeptical. Their best player, Travis Hunter, got knocked out on that cheap shot. So they're not full strength. But one of the features of that game is that two of Renner's quarterbacks are the two starting quarterbacks. So Bo Nix for Oregon and Shadur Sanders for Colorado. So if you just want to get your eyes and start having an early opinion on which quarterback should be drafted, that's a good game to jump into. All right. Here's the little stick I want to give you. I'm going to give you eight sneaky good games this weekend. That the, as conference play begins, we've got a lot of interesting games around. But I'm, I'm curious, how many upsets would you expect out of this slate of eight? And fellas, the the, the timing windows break down perfectly. We've got some of these in the twelve o'clock window, some in the three thirty, some in the seven thirty, and we we end with that Ohio State Notre Dame game, which is kind of the kind of the highlight game of the weekend. Number six Ohio State going to South Bend to play number nine. Notre Dame. So setting that one aside, here's eight games, guys, and, I'm, and you have to pick a number. We're going to do. We're going to. We're going to bet for the first time in a while on how many upsets we'll see on the following eight games. All right, this is an order of appearance. Florida State is going to Clemson. They're no. two point. They're a two point favorite. All oh, you want to do it against the spread? Against the spread? Again, no, just straight up upsets. But you got to no. pick out of out of these eight. How many do you want? You don't have to say yes, no on each one of them. But I oh. need you. I need you to collect a number. It's an over-under. Rutgers goes to Michigan, 25-point underdog. Number 16, Oklahoma, goes to Cincinnati, who looked better than they did last week, and they they got upset by, I think, Ohio University. Um, 14-point favorite going into Cincinnati. Auburn goes to College Station, play Texas A&M, 8-point dog. UCLA, Dante, Dante Moore, their freshman quarterback, has secured the starting spot. They're going to Utah. They're only five-point dogs with that true freshman quarterback. Ole Miss going into very troubled Alabama. Alabama only a seven-point favorite, hosting number 15 Ole Miss. Penn State going to Iowa. Iowa blew up with 40 points last weekend. They're a 14-point underdog hosting Penn State, number seven Penn State. Number three, UT. That's fun to say. Number three, UT going into Waco to play Baylor, 15-point dogs. That's the primetime game on ABC. And then those eight games, of those eight games, how many favorites will lose? This is college football, man. Unexpected happens. I'm trying to bait you guys into watching a little college football Saturday. Um, Shane, Shane says, I'm saying two. You're saying two. You're including Shane, the Ohio State North Notre Dame know. game, or no? no? Ohio State Notre Dame is not. I'm giving you eight. That's the ninth game. Oh, that's the ninth game. Ooh, you, you one and eight. a half. <laughs> so, so, no, so, you don't get one and a half. You okay, get, two. Get, I'll, I'll round up to two. Can I get a little bit more repeat? So you have uh, two of them. One's a 25 dog, a two 14s. Yeah. 14 and 15. Yeah. Uh, two 14s and a 15. 14s and 15. So, so collectively, those three together add up to about a half a game. Those four together is about a half a game. And the others mm-hmm. were five, seven, and what? What was it? Um, eight, seven, five, three, two. Eight, seven, five, no, three. That's the, that's the ninth game. Eight, seven, five, and eight, seven, five, and two. It's okay. similar to my own methodology. 
two is uh, is practically a toss up right there. Um, so I'm going to go, and then the five and the seven probably add up to another. Uh, collectively, add up to probably a, a um, two thirds. Thirds. So that there's my total: two thirds plus a half plus a half. So just under two. Okay. You're still at Eric. Yeah, mine was basically, twos. you know, point for giving point five to anything toss at like three point spread, point spread of three or less. I'm, sorry, like I'm embarrassed because um, I'm not embarrassed because of their answers. I'm embarrassed because of what my answer was going to be. Um, <laughs> they're, they're actually using statistics and a principle. <laughs> I was trying to decide if I was going to go, if you were going to bet me and I was going to go over under a half, which one I was going to take. Mm. Um, uh, I was going to set uh, the over uh, under at two and a half, actually. So Yeah, I'll go at most one. One. My prediction is wow. one. Oh geez, oh, Eric! No way, man. Variance on this is probably- no, but here's the thing. This is what 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 it's what what Adi did um, was surprising. Not surprising to me. It's it is surprising to me the calculation he made that those like I would basically put twenty five, fourteen, fourteen, and fifteen. I put the sum there at zero, and obviously I'm way underestimating it because if you put a half For there. Sure then I have to go over one. But I'm essentially putting those at zero. Yeah, I mean, I, I got close to two by putting a half at anything like three or less, 0.25 at anything around a touchdown, and then zeroing out everything else. Okay, so fellas, what if we add the Ohio State-Notre Dame game, where Notre Dame is the dog there by three, and now I'll, I'll take all of you. I'll take all of you. I'll take the over two and a half against, if you'll all take the unders. Name the stakes. Oh, I don't want in to. those nine games, you'll take over nine. two and a half. Yeah, with Ohio State in there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Adi, Adi wants to talk. Adi wants to move on. Adi, you no, know, I, I mean, I, I mean, under. Point, are you trying to make the, the point that we just don't know anything at this point? And then our no, that, no. no our, I think this is an interesting slate. I think that I think this is I think this is what is going to make the day interesting. Is that some of those dogs, some of those favorites are going to go down? And the question is how many. Yeah, it's a notable week in that, the, you know, some weeks we would look at the slate and all be arguing no, zero. Uh, but Adi's bringing up an important point. So was, let's let's just discuss this. What would make somebody take, like myself, take under two and a half? couple things. One is, and by a lot, I didn't give you odds. What would make me do that? It would be number one, I don't know well the translation between point spreads and probabilities. That's one possibility. Second is that, um, as Adi said, we have so much uncertainty. Now, of course, if there's so much uncertainty, that should raise your expectation, actually, not lower it. Because, like, if we had infinite, infinite, under, infinite lack of understanding, then these are all just coin flip games. And you got nine of them, and you only need two and a half, and a half, nine times a half is four and a half. And so that's another possibility. A third possibility is that I'm just a believer that when these kind of high, if you'd like, that you really can't just, it's not as much a continuous curve as you guys are saying, that there's this discontinuity at some two touchdown or more spread that yeah. just, I put it at zero. No, and I mean, I kind of do that too, because I think uh, uh, beyond that, it's hard to even <laughs> estimate a point spread, right? What are we going to do? What are we going to do with him? I, I want to put this, I want to put some, 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 uh, some, some actual numbers on this. The, st- the residual standard deviation is around 14. So, being off by 14 points should happen about one sixth of the time. I don't know why. Why are you giving this zero probability, Eric? And okay, I have in more the, probability. In the interest of getting to baseball, we need to wrap this up. But Shane and Adi, are y'all in over or under two and a half on the nine games? Nine games. How many upsets over or under two and a half? 
right, under. I'll throw it out as over just to take your. All right, me and Otter on the over, Shane and Eric are on the under. Perfectly, we split the group. And now, thank you, fellas. Look at your viewing schedule for Saturday afternoon, and let's talk baseball. Man, what do you want to do? We've only got a few minutes. There's so much to talk about. Oreos. They came back from two down in that series. They split the series in the eleventh. In the eleventh inning, they came down from behind in both the tenth and the ninth, and somewhere earlier. Okay, excited about them, obviously. What else? What has y'all going on? I mean, I think it's worth honoring that the Rays. I, I, I want to recognize that the Rays have now, I think, made the playoffs five years in a row, and I think I don't think they've had anything but a bottom five payroll those any of those years. So that's Amazing. impressive. Amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the thing that's caught me is that the, you know, even the traditionalists like myself, Adi, must say the same thing. I mean, the wild card has fundamentally made baseball more interesting and better. I mean, there's five teams. I think it's in the America. It's the it's five teams, sorry, in the National League that are fighting for two spots. There are three teams in the American League fighting for two because the Rays are in. We know that. I'm assuming I'm a, I'm a, Right now, I'm saying the Phillies are in, but the other five teams are within like one game of each other. There's two in the three in the American League. I I think it's made baseball much, much more interesting. And uh, it would not surprise me. I just don't remember. Has a wild card team ever won the World Series? Yes. Surely. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure. They have. Okay. So I'm just saying it's not like these are like the eighth seed in basketball or the, or the 11 seed in the new basketball format. Like they have to win two games just to get to the eighth seed to get blown out by the one seed. These, I mean, these, these wild card teams in baseball can win it. Yeah. I mean, 2004 Red Sox, I think were a wild card team. I mean, that was before there was the extra. Yeah. I meant on the new standard, but yeah, yeah of okay. course. Well, yeah, so the, no. I think these seeds are really interesting. If you look at Fangraph's world series, probably chance of winning everything Braves are, a, a unit ahead of everybody else or twice everybody else. And we know they're a great team, but they shouldn't be that. The deal is they're the only team assured of the number one spot is I think my, my interpretation because on the AL side, it's still between Rays and, um, and Oreos. But you also get a buy, right? You get a buy. You, yeah, get a, you, you don't get have buy. to buy no, but it's, it's, it's basically, I think Kate's saying it's because they're guaranteed that buy that their right. percent of probabilities are so much higher. I mean, they are the strongest team going in, but I agree. They, well, once this playoff seedings are set, they, the one seed on either side shouldn't differ that much. Actually, yeah, Shane, your That's point right. is that That's once right. you kind of de-mean, like if you put in a fixed effect for the fact that they're the one seed and take out that extra probability, there ain't much extra else going on there. Maybe it's a right. 5% extra probability, but it ain't more than that. Right. So I want to hear y'all's take on the general, the general manager getting fired by the Red Sox because Adi knows the guy and Shane's team. So how do y'all feel? Uh, I, I think it's kind of crazy. I mean, I think he was quite um, inventive, and he didn't sign Mookie Betts. He brought the payroll down, but he rebuilt the farm system. They weren't supposed to be anything this year. They did very well for a while. They kind of tumbled at the end. I mean, it, just the, the the connection between winning and a, any and a given team, it's just so meek to 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 fire him so early. Just seems rather rather uh, a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I, it's frustrating because I don't know what their direction is. You know, they can alternate between these guys that like, uh, you know, hire a bunch of free agents like Dombrowski and built an amazing team, and they just let that team kind of fall apart. And yeah, I mean, fine, restock the farm system, but then, I mean, Heim Bloom, he did as well as he could. I mean, the Red Sox in his time went from a, you know, a second or third highest payroll team to like middle of the pack. I mean, if you're not. You know, he he did as good as he could, constrained to the spe- constrained to the spending. 
But the Rays, you just pointed out the Rays are getting yeah. it done. No, no. And I mean, obviously hire those people. You, you know, I mean, I, I mean. No, he came from the Rays, number one. It's a it's a, it's yeah. a long-term operation to yeah. win with. with very That's right. Little. That's right. That's right. All yeah. right. Well, He was a general manager for 500 games, and they're 500 for those games. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Um, all right, guys. That has been our first half here on Wharton Moneyball. We have Brian Burke, our guest, in the second half. Come back and join us after the break. You're listening to Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio. Welcome back. Welcome back to Wharton Moneyball. Welcome back to the second half of this week's show, second half of an hour on sports analytics. This is Cade Massey hosting this half with Shane for the whole run, Shane Jensen, of course. Adi, we think we're going to see back in here. We'll see what kind of time he needs away. And delightfully, we have Brian Burke back. Brian, as longtime listeners know, is a regular guest here. We've had him, I think, maybe even before his ESPN days, possibly. Yes. Brian, one of the real creators of um, football analytics on the frontier for a long time now. Longtime analyst now with ESPN. He is one of those ESPNers who lives his own life in his own place, but publishes and collaborates with the folks out of ESPN. Brian, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Always fun to be on. Always glad to have you, man. Uh, early in the season, we uh, want to check in with you. You often have an off-season project, something you've been cooking for months and months and collaborating with various interesting experts around the industry. This is not one of those years, but it does sound like, as suspected, you have something some little project you've been you've been chipping away at. So before we dive into the details of the season and find out what's going on, what your perspective is on what's going on, let us first understand what are you working on, Brian? We're always interested in what your projects are. Yeah, some of the some of the talent and the researchers that do Monday Night Football uh, were interested in sort of the more modern, more exotic uh, pressure defenses. So uh, in in pass pass plays. You've got all kinds of different things you can do in terms of the pressure look. You can have a standard four-man rush. Uh, you can have a, a standard blitz, you know, five-plus pass rushers. But then you can do more exotic things, uh, for example, something called simulated pressure. Uh, and then there's a uh, a version of that called a creeper. <laughs> uh, that's all football talk. Uh, and then you can have various uh, – you can mix and match all these different things. And so, so – Hold on. Give us – simulated pressure doesn't sound like it would be very effective. We want actual pressure. So what is <laughs> what does simulated pressure mean exactly? Okay. So what you do is you line up like you're going to blitz. So you put, you know, five-plus, uh, you know, defenders on the line of scrimmage looking like they are going to pass rush. So you've got linebackers in the A-gaps or you have defensive backs crowding the line uh, off the edge. And then you you only rush four. Uh, typically what you're doing is you're dropping uh, some of the players that look like they're going to rush uh, and then maybe rushing uh, with, with the rest. So you could end up with only four rushers, but it makes the offensive line react as if there's a big blitz. And it can be very confusing. It can defeat – the offensive line's protection rules. And that's the whole idea. So even though you're not bringing a lot of pressure, maybe you're overloading one side or the other, you're making, uh, you're creating one-on-one matchups and maybe even having offensive linemen that have no one to block. So they're just wasted on the play. So, um, so that's, back that's in the, the pressure. Back in the day, 
you might fake a blitz, but the, the blitzers would always, if you, if you faked it, the blitzers would be the ones that fall back. The, one of the wrinkles in recent years, maybe it's been a long time for all I know, is that who knows who's going to fall back? They might drop a defensive end back into coverage. And so they really, yeah. it's unpredictable and it's unbalanced sometimes. Okay. Or even a tackle. Yeah. Even defensive or even tackle. A, or even a tackle. Yeah. Good Lord. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. So you're looking at these various pressures. I assume the question is something about their effectiveness. And of course it's situational. So, so tell us what you're finding. Well, <clears throat> the more exotic you get, the more you mix and match them, the more effective it gets. So if you do, if you blitz and you sim uh, to some degree where you have a threatening, a player who's threatening to rush drop and you have, a, say, a creeper, a creeper is, is sort of the same as simulated pressure, except one of the rushers is not threatening. So think about a linebacker in his standard position, like four yards off the line of scrimmage. And he's one of the rushers. So if you do that, you get you like the, the typical sack rate might be five, six, seven percent. If you do that, you're getting a sack like 15, you know, double that 15% Jeez. of the time. Yeah. Okay. And, and you get, you drive down uh, yards per attempt, like under 5.0 yards per attempt, which is, which is nuts. Uh, okay. uh, so yeah, it can be very, very effective. To what extent, uh, Brian, does this, um, I can imagine that you, you, you need to kind of control for personnel, like, you know, cause there's a huge selection bias. You know, I mean, teams that teams are much more likely to blitz if they have the kind of personnel that is able to blitz effectively, you know, Micah yep. Parsons or whoever. Yeah. Um, so how do you kind of, how, you know, is, is, are you kind of like, is your methodology kind of meant to say for the same personnel, these different kind of strategies are more effective or is it more just, you know, overall, these strategies are more effective, not really kind of adjusting for personnel. Right now, all I've done is the overall. Uh, and then you can break that down more granular into teams. So you can look at which teams are doing this more often, which teams are more effective. You can even look at which quarterbacks are less least effective when they when they get this. So no, there's no sort of kind of more sophisticated model that is doing a regression saying, hey, this is what we expect the pressure rate to be, but you know, based on, you know, personnel and things like that, I haven't gotten to that point. This is kind of the natural first stage is describing things. Um I assume that you are exploiting all of the technology you've gained expertise in in recent years. You're code you're not coding these pressures by hand play by play you guys have ngs that allows you to tell you presumably yes. it tells you what happened on each play is that right exactly yeah I, I should i should say you know the source of the data is is the nfl's next gen stats uh player tracking um which which we have access to uh which which is really <clears throat> so much fun to deal with and, and work with so i'm really lucky i get to get to work with all that Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of ESPN, I, I started kind of fishing around for analytics today, curious about power rankings. Two weeks in, you know, some two and O teams, some O and two teams. What's real? What What do we know if we if we're looking through the lens of a more sophisticated analysis? What do we think we know? One of my questions is, what's the story on FBI? FBI took some flack last year. Y'all have had some yeah. changes in <laughs> personnel. What tell us, Brian, and, and tell us objectively, tell us clearly. How much stock should we be putting in, in current version of ESPN's FPI being football power index? It's ESPN's measure of the of both yeah. college and pro. Yeah. On the pro side. <laughs> we game planned. We game planned this question. I, I was expecting it. Uh, what should I say if Kate asked us about FPI last year? So <laughs> if you followed FBI very closely, uh, you may have noticed last year was was not our best 
year in terms of, you know, things making a lot of sense and converging with, with what other models uh, had, we got very, very ambitious uh, last year and try to do much more of a player up model. And it, it didn't work as well as we thought uh, our sort of preseason kind of back testing. I think, however, we did that, it sort of fooled us into thinking that the model was going to work uh, at least as well as our, as our, let's say what we call internally, what we call 1.0 version, which is what yeah. everyone is sort of used to and trusts yeah, uh, yeah. this year, this year we've, we've reverted to the 1.0 uh, version again. Okay. And, and we're, we're kind of literally back to the drawing board on what to okay. do next. Yeah. Is it literally 1.0? Is it 1.1 or 1.112 or something? I mean, did y'all revise it? And now I'm just curious as a modeler, or did you say, no, off season's too busy. We just have to start it back with 1.0. We do. We it's actually one point five technically, but that has more to do with um, sort of the internal, you know, how the code works, and not not really okay. as much about how the model works. Yeah. Now, Brian, I think of that FBI as at least quasi Bayesian. It's Bayesian conceptually, right? Even if it's not no, it a big is. formal Bayesian model, is that it right? is a form? It is a formal Bayesian model, it oh, is, but it is not like a. It's not a Markov chain Monte Carlo sampled. Um, Okay. Solution. It is a direct solution where the uh, like the covariance matrix is manually constructed, um, and then the, the the priors are involved, and then there's a whole lot of matrix algebra going on to to build the solution. So it is it is an analytical solution. It's not a it's not like a, it's not like Stan or Jags or, or one of those advanced kind of sampling. Uh, okay. solution engines for Bayesian regression. It is more of an analytical solution. And the precise meaning of analytical is like, like you directly solve for the answer. It's not something you kind of iterate towards. Okay. Now I'm going to hold off my Bayesian colleagues because Adi's joined us now and he's in here <laughs> and these guys could jump in on that. And I don't want to go into that right now. We can do another show on the pros and cons of analytical versus sampling with Bayesian models, but let's just give ESPN some kudos they're back to a model we know is pretty sound. We've always liked FPI, and it's good to know some of the background, what's going on. Let's look at FBI, fellas. Let's look at FBI and just see, you know, this is the best we can do, but it's always curious what we think is getting right, what we are skeptical about. Right now it has Cowboys number one. That's There's some comfort in that, presumably, but it's already reached up to plus 7.5 versus an average team, which is pretty strong go two weeks in. Buffalo yeah. coming in number two, KC three, Niners four. This definitely has passing the smell check. Miami sneaking up there. Number five, got to love seeing Miami at number five. Baltimore right behind them, six. Eagles, that's interesting, all the way down at six. Chargers still hanging around at seven. Bengals, some priors doing some work here. Bengals at whatever that is, eight. Yep. Browns, yep. Lions, Jags. How are you feeling about the miles so far, fellas? Uh, my, uh, my question. Is what's in it other than score differential? And uh, I mean, you, how do you build it other than other, obviously other than score differentials? What goes in? Uh, so we have an offense, a defense, and a special teams net EPA per play mm. is it's kind of the, the bread and butter. That's the core. And we have a quarterback component so that when quarterbacks are injured or come back from injury uh, or during the season, you're a, the opponent. Is, isn't credited for playing 
you know, a starting quarterback, opposing defense and credited for a, a great performance against when they're playing, a, a, you know, a lowly backup, a poor backup. So uh, those that's pretty much it. And then you you pour all that into, a, you know, um, uh, into a matrix and, and solve the solve the matrix and you get um, you get uh, an offensive rating, a defensive rating and a special teams rating. So the offense, the way the offensive rating works is we 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 developed a projection for how well this offense will do with this quarterback. So not just not just the passing, but quarterbacks have an in- impact on overall offense and even the running game. So we end up with three different ratings and then they're all in in the units of points and then it, that gets those get rolled up into a total total FPI. To what extent do you kind of try and calculate uncertainty week to week in all these estimates that you're calculating? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you you mentioned that there's an analytical solution. You're basically calculating a point estimate. And so, you know, uncertainty, I, I would be kind of interested, A, do you calculate uncertainty and how does that uncertainty decrease as you get more and more weeks worth of data? I would say that probably yeah. your 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 special teams estimates uh, right now are probably pretty highly variable given the number of special teams plays we've seen in two weeks of yeah, they they barely budged. I mean, you saw what the Cowboys did to the Giants in terms of special teams, but that you know they barely budged off of their priors, and the priors are, are shrunk towards zero um, to begin with for special teams. There's not a lot of signal um, outside of Justin Tucker, <laughs> um, especially at the beginning of the season. Um, yeah, so there is uncertainty built in to the model uh the model at the end of the computations only produces point estimates though but internally there are um kind of standard errors built in like i mentioned and into the into the uh, covariance matrix um this was all built by (laughs) this is all built by i'll I'll give him credit zach bradshaw uh who works for big league advantage now or big league advance um as it used to be called and uh, I only I only worked on this model tangentially, like I was building what the prior should be or what how the special teams should work or different flags that we put in there and that would increase or decrease uncertainty based on new coaches or new quarterback or new coordinators and that sort of thing. Uh, so um, I can't exactly precisely answer your question exactly how. It well, works. let me let me actually uh, a quicker way of phrasing: How long does it take in a season for your priors to say? Be outweighed by the data have for the for the actual outcomes that you've observed to, you know, be over half the prior. Say how long to be half the prior? I don't know exactly. Uh, I mean, in, in sort of models that I like toy models that I just build for things like what I teach in my class and that sort of thing. It's typically you know half the season, maybe maybe a little past halfway before uh, the. <clears throat> The actual observations start to outweigh just even 50 50 with with the priors and then by the end of the season the priors are still there they're never fully removed right so we had a conversation last week about the about laplace smoothing or uh which yeah. is equivalent yeah. to like adding yeah. right and we i think our numbers are around five right so you're saying it's a bit more the priors think, are, are, are weightier I, than that i think so just in my experience with with yeah. um with uh with when i've done this on my own just in in terms of uh just just toy toy models to to illustrate or teach the teach the concept yeah brian on your expertise uh, uh, among many is on wind probability models um you, you you've helped build some of those and you've been a defender of some of the criticisms of those over the years yeah 
in-game, are, yeah, in-game models. The, in-ga- the in-game probabilities, which are notoriously tough in the tails. And of course, that's where the ones that grab the attention. When the <laughs> model says, you know, it's 99% likely, then something unlikely happens and you start catching flack. Anyway, uh, yep. I saw our friend Kevin Cole produces a newsletter called Unexpected Points Added, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, interesting newsletter. We recommend anything Kevin does. And he he, he posted, uh, he linked an article from Reddit about nine months ago on some options trader who looked in at the at the in-game probability model for college football, ESPN's college football model, which I don't know how you're involved you are. But the but the point of it is it essentially his criticism, this one guy on Reddit, okay, but his observation was it, it didn't think the model had enough consideration to for priors. So for example, home teams outperformed in the fourth quarter. And there are a few other that kind of could be summarized as it didn't seem like enough weight was on priors. And it made me wonder whether these models were Bayesian at all or whether they were strictly parametric in some form and didn't fit. The, the in-game models? The in-game models are not Bayesian. The, the, it's too – I don't – if you can uh, – congratulations to you if you can – if you can uh, if you figure can, out how to do figure that. Out how to do that. Um, <clears throat> there's a number of different ways to solve it. I mean, it's – you know, m- most – uh, kind of the public available models, like some of these R packages, you can you can download for free. Those are you know b- straightforward kind of supervised learning models using a thing called extreme boosted gradient uh, models. Uh, our model is an ensemble of a variety of different things. The the this uh, Reddit person, uh, I agree. Um, so the but I'll qualify what I think is really going on is that. We do have a very good. We, we start with FPI, the college FPI, and, and we've that's always performed very well uh, for yep. us. We're very happy yep. with how it performs. And so the starting point of the chart, if you look at a win probability chart on the left hand side at kickoff, is exactly the same as what our FPI prediction is uh, for the yep. game outcome. And then over time, the uh, I've basically manually decided on what the decay should be of that uh, pregame strength, right? So obviously halfway through the game, the half of the game is kind of the, the water's under the bridge. Whatever advantage that team had is 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 kind of half, approximately half of what it was going into the game. There's just not that much time. And of course, with only one play left, that it's very, you know, there's only one play to exert that, you know, advantage that you have against the other team and the game may already be decided, right? So, um, <clears throat> so, the what I've learned is that it does not decay linearly. Is that the the team advantage should persist longer than linearly, and then there should be a non-linear uh, sort of decay to that pre-game uh, okay. team strength component. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So All right. he's, he's very observant. <laughs> well, yeah. it it it, uh, it I happened to read it before talking to you, and we happen to be talking about Bayesian stuff, so I wanted to jump in. I'll gi- I'll give a shout out to your college football FBI real quickly as well. They still have the Bucks, uh, Buckeyes number one, Sooners number two. That's the that's kind of the sneaky thing <laughs> that FBI has that other people don't have. Based on they had decent priors coming in, but it's based on performance so far. Now the opponents have been questionable, but all the same, they're saying performances look good. So um, we, in general, have liked your FPI products over the years, and we've looked at them. Um, Rufus and I have looked at them and and been and been very happy with them. Last year being an exceptional course. All right, Brian, around the NFL, 
any stories that you that you think are especially interesting or anything that you have enjoyed or found curious over the first two weeks? I think uh, obviously the Jets are interesting uh, because I, not in terms of I know people are like clamoring for them to go out and get another quarterback. And I, I just don't see that. I just don't see a lot of viable options for them. But, you know, they're built to win now. So what do they do? I think, you know, I think what they should do is sort of retreat into a uh, <clears throat> a defense first ball control, you know, Rex Ryan grounded pound. I mean, I'm sorry to say an old Ravens sort of Steelers uh, concept where you just keep the game close and hope uh, your defense gets a score or you get a great turnover. Um I think or, uh, to, to harken back to the Ravens, yeah. an offensive pass or uh, a defensive pass interference way downfield. That was the primarily way they moved the ball. <laughs> hey, no Joe Flacco slander, please. Uh, exactly. It's a yeah. local guy for Brian. <laughs> I mean, Joe Flacco could end up being their quarterback uh, in, <laughs> in New York anyway. So that might be the, that might be the move. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, you know, that's what I would do if, if I kind of. Uh, uh-huh. That's yeah. God. That's tough medicine to take in a in so a, far. In a pass no, it's, first. It's, so far, it seems like they're still trying to play a very conventional game where they're trying to move the ball and score points. And I would retreat into a, a very defensive mindset and um, strengthen the parts of the team that that you that you can um, and make the make life as easy as you can uh, for the quarterback and and uh, keep keep the risk uh, low. Um, uh, on offense and then dial up the variance on defense and then hope, hopefully you can surprise some people. But uh, even without Aaron Rodgers right now, we have them as kind of like purely average team. So it'll be really interesting to watch kind of what they do. I'm sorry, Adi. I'm sorry for that whole report. I'm sorry for the way the season's going. Yeah. Is, is Wilson a below average quarterback or is he average? Oh, Wilson's very below, very, very, very below average. So the difference between Rodgers and Wilson is like seven to nine points, probably. Is that the rough estimate? Probably as big as you can get. The, th- the thing is, is that the more Zach Wilson throws and, the you know, it's, it's a matter of quantity now. So right. if he's like a minus 0.05 EPA per pass attempt passer, there's a few ways to minimize that. You know, let's try to hope, you know, get a better quarterback you know, hope he gets better or, have, you know, change the. Don't change let him the, pass. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just accept the fact that, he, you know, you're going to, you know, you're a minus three on offense uh, and hope to be better than a, than a plus three on defense and special teams. So if the Jets had Rodgers, where did you have them? I know I'm dreaming and sad right now, but where was it? <laughs> um, I, I can uh, hold on. It'll take a minute. Preseason? Preseason? Get them ninth, ninth. Oh, okay. Which is about as high a preseason number as I've seen in a generation or more. Yeah. Brian, how do we keep getting the QB so wrong? This guy was drafted number two, I think. I mean, what in retrospect, I mean, we don't even do enough of this retrospect stuff. Like yeah. what value, what attribute of his was, was misunderstood or what attribute was misweighted? We, we had this conversation, uh, Cade, at, at a Sloan. <laughs> You guys were doing your show from Sloan at one point, and you gave me a T-shirt. I still wear the T-shirt. Mm-hmm. I remember that, and we were talking about Cam Newtons and my experiences as a fighter pilot. He- you you just don't know. It's very cognitive. I think the 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 quarterback position is the, the what makes a player very good or bad is very latent. It's hidden. It's cognitive, yeah. and it's not revealed until they're actually kind of thrown into the fire. So they're 
physical attributes and their measurables uh, are, you know, there to be seen. And I think other positions, you know, running backs are, are very athletic positions and not so cognitively demanding and not just cognitive. I'm not talking about like doing math or anything, but like sort of psychocognitive, like yeah. how well you, you know, how cool are you under pressure? Yeah. You know, you know, just willing. Okay. So, so sure. that something jumped out to me, Mike Renner, formerly PFF, a, a kind of a draft guru, sharp guy has his early list of QBs. He thinks this might be, you know, a lot of people talking about the quarterback draft already. And I pitched it to some of my NFL guys. It's like, this is a good way to engage in college football because it's going to be a deep quarterback draft. And one of the things jumped out to me about this piece is the Duke quarterback. Is it Riley Leonard? I, mean, I probably had that wrong name wrong. The Duke quarterback, he's, 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 he's pinged for having kind of a weak arm. And this guy is like, this guy is like an all-state athlete at the high school level, maybe in multiple sports. He's a yeah. big guy. He, I, you know, he's he's probably the quintessential guy who's going to be underrated because of a weak arm, but might have all of those other qualities. It, it, who knows? Yeah. But it's the it's the, the, because those those other qualities are so much more observable, Brian. They tend to get overweighted, and so I yeah. I'm, I'm instantly curious about the guy who has all these other traits, but maybe not quite the rocket arm. You know, the rocket arm can be over over. We have long time overrating. The rocket arm, Shane. Yeah, it, yeah. Well, Brock Purdy, you know. Is yeah, that's oh my god. Yeah, geez. Like, like no, and I mean, I think Brock Purdy is a good example. Of what I'm about to com- just comment on, which is that this idea. I, I mean, I I don't want to frame it too much. Like you know, there's a quarterback ability that could have been inferred and was static at draft because you the way you framed the question, Kate, was like, what did they get wrong about with, Zach Wilson? You know, about Zach Wilson, but it's also. It's not just the draft. It's not just the selection that's uncertain, but it's all an evaluation. It's the developmental process upon arrival. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like Brock Purdy getting drafted by the Jets, what happens, you know, or, 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 or whatever. I I, I think that's right. That's right. You can ask the question more like, what did the Jets do wrong to get to this point? Well, both, well, both matter and we don't know the relative weight, but that's exactly right. And Purdy is the, is a perfect example of that. All right, guys, that is the time that we have to spend with Brian. Unfortunately, Brian, let me just, let me just commit us all to this future conversation. Brian, former fighter pilot. I just asked him uh, when the last time he flew a jet, it was like, Oh, four Oh five, something like that. But, but he's been driving cars fast lately. And it sounds like that's a, a, a hobby. And it sounds like there's, interesting analytics and we're always interested in uh, the development of expertise and performance and the role of analytics and i have a zillion more questions for you on that so we're going to have brian back at some point to talk about old guys driving fast cars (laughs) and using analytics um because (laughs) because i think we have some people who are interested in that um statistician in cars drinking coffee no (laughs) (laughs) yeah no it is it is it is an old man's thing Uh, i do not have a corvette I want to make that clear. That's the uh, ultimate old man's car. So. No, no, no. We're talking about track track racing. Um, and if you follow Brian, you've seen some of the posts. He's got videos out there of some of the runs he's made. It's just a new thing for him. And it sounds like something for us to talk about down the road. All right. That's been Brian Burke. You've seen his work. ESPN. You can follow him on Twitter. Fantastic on all things football. Brian, as usual, enjoyed it. Thanks for making time for us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. That has been Another hour of sports analytics here on Wharton Moneyball for the whole crew. Shane Jensen, Adi Weiner through here on the whole show. Eric Bradlow from the first half for the for the boss man, Matty Dats. 
for the associate boss man, Dion Simpkins. Thanks, Dion, for all the work you do. And for you listeners, thanks for listening. Come back and join us next time. Between now and then, enjoy your sports. Enjoy your sports.